Whoa, did you hear that? The last time term limits came up in a presidential debate was when George Bush, Bill Clinton, and Ross Perot faced off back in 1992. But last week, three presidential hopefuls brought up the issue in the fourth Democratic presidential debate. Hi, I'm Philip Lumel. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms, the official podcast of the term limits movement for the week of October 21st, 2019. Your sanctuary from partisan politics. U.S. Tournament's Executive Director Nick Tombolides watched the three-hour debate, and he's with us again this week. Hey, Nick. How's it going? Howdy, sir. I'm doing very well. Good. Is it true that you watched all three hours of that debate? I did. I'm the type of self-loathing person who does that. (laughs) But I, I did it in the service to the term limits movement because I was waiting to see if the words term limits would finally come across the lips of any of these 12 presidential candidates, and yes, it finally happened. They did. Yeah, that was exciting. First time since 92. If it came up in one of the primary debates earlier on and slipped by us, hopefully a listener will let us know. But um, yeah, I think it's the first time since 1992 since it's come up in the presidential debate, so that's pretty exciting. And it came up more than once. Yes. So I did some quick little napkin math here, like some Jack Mm -hmm. Kemp, Art Laffer napkin math. Prior to Tuesday night, there had been 15 hours of Democratic presidential debates in 2019. 15 hours, 900 minutes, 54,000 seconds. In that time, there had not been a single mention of term limits. As you said, it had not been mentioned in a debate since 1992, even longer. But in this cycle, you'd think with it, you know, it's a really popular issue right now. It's a hot issue. Candidates talk about it all the time, evidently not in the primary. There were 297 questions about other topics, healthcare, gun control, wealth taxes, Ellen DeGeneres, but nothing about term limits. And there still hasn't been a term limits question. It only got into the debate because Tom Steyer injected it into a discussion about opioids. Right. Well, let's hear the clip right now. The reason I'm running for president is that we have a broken government. And we have a broken government because corporations have bought it. And every single one of these conversations is about that broken government. We need to break the corporate stranglehold on our government. I've put forward actual structural changes, including term limits, a national referendum, the end to the idea that corporations are people and have the rights of American citizens politically and make it a lot easier to vote. Well, that's great. It was short and sweet. And there was no rejoinder. No one else engaged the issue when he brought it up. But nonetheless, I give Tom Steyer an A-plus for bringing it up and for being the first one in decades. So I'm excited about that. And he's going to keep doing it. Because I noticed that prior to him being in the debate, and particularly in an interview I saw on Bloomberg TV, the very first issue he brought up was congressional term limits. I get emails from politicians all the time promising me, you know, denial. And uh, in this case, I got an email from Tom Steyer that said, if I get on the debate stage, I'm actually going to talk about term limits. I'm going to mention term limits. And he kept his word. And he did it in a very smart way. He correctly noted that Congress is in the pocket of Big Pharma because Big Pharma spends hundreds of millions of dollars on lobbying campaigns to keep their Mm -hmm. favorite politicians in office. So his case was the real problem in our country is not the specific issues that we've been debating for 15 hours. It's corruption. If you fix corruption, then you get the politicians listening again. It was a very artful way how he brought it up. What it reminded me of was that Princeton study that had been done a few years ago, where they found if the American people support a particular policy, the odds of Congress enacting it are 40%. 
if the American people oppose a particular policy, the odds of Congress enacting it are 40%. So the opinions of the public have a near zero impact on public policy decisions. Legislators are listening to the funders. It's a systematic corruption. When you talk about opioids, the funders are the big pharmaceutical companies, obviously. And so it's a dependency. The votes are exchanged for permanent incumbency. Term limits would break that cycle. I think Steyer deserves great credit for pointing that out and for connecting a hot button issue like opioids to term limits because they're inextricably linked. I think every issue is linked with the idea of politicians being too corrupt. Absolutely. Well, after Tom Steyer, the runner-ups are Pete Buttigieg and Julian Castro, who both also brought up term limits, although not congressional term limits. They brought up Supreme Court term limits, and I still want to give them kudos for that. This is a public service announcement. Ever wonder why senators seem to get wealthier and wealthier once they get into office? Not only are they far more affluent than most of their constituents, they have the ability to legislate money into their own pockets through policymaking. In a September 19th article in The Guardian, according to Sludge, an investigative news website focused on money and politics, quote, analysis of financial disclosure data shows 51 senators and their spouses have as much as 96 million invested in corporate stocks, end quote. U.S. lawmakers face glaring conflicts of interest setting policy for companies they are supposed to regulate. Although not illegal, the perception is that it is a conflict of interest for lawmakers and their spouses to own stock in a company for which they legislate. Human nature dictates that it is impossible to be impartial on issues affecting your own personal wealth. Most of the stocks owned by the 51 senators are in five key sectors, communications electronics, defense, energy and natural resources, finance, insurance, and real estate, and health. According to last week's investigative report, 10 members of the Senate Banking Committee own a total of as much as $8 million in stock in companies in the finance, securities, and real estate sector. Other senators on the Housing and Urban Affairs Committee have millions vested in real estate. The median net worth of a senator is approximately $3.2 million. According to MarketWatch, the median net worth of the average U.S. household is $97,300. U.S. lawmakers are disproportionately wealthier than their constituents and growing wealthier. This inequity makes it impossible for members of the Senate to have any empathy in the average American experience. It's no wonder Americans overwhelmingly disapprove of Congress and don't believe their representatives share in their priorities. At U.S. Term Limits, we believe the best anti-corruption measure is to divest Congress members from controlling policy for their own purses by removing them from their posts regularly with term limits. Right at deadline last week, we got the news of the results from the Louisiana state legislative primary elections. Yes, Louisiana had a primary for its state legislators last Saturday. We were super active doing voter education. Just want to give folks some background. We put Mm -hmm. major resources in. We sent out voter guides to a large number of districts, letting people know who signed the U.S. term limits pledge, which ones have refused. And of course, it's a pledge asking legislators to back a convention for term limits on Congress. And the way the primary works in Louisiana is interesting. It's not a closed primary uh, like here in Florida where only Republicans can vote for Republicans and vice versa. It's totally open. 
to anyone. It's one election in the primary. It's totally open. It's a mad scramble. It's like a world wrestling battle royale wrestling match. <laughs> and if one mm-hmm. candidate gets 50% of the vote, he wins the seat automatically. There's no general election. If nobody gets 50%, the top two vote getters advance to a runoff in November. So we saw 22 pledge signers last Saturday win outright and another 22 wow. advanced to runoffs. It was a very successful day for term limits. It's particularly fantastic when you consider that at the beginning of this campaign season, we had nothing in Louisiana. We had no pledge signers. And now, just going through the primaries, of course, it's a jungle primary, but the, going through the primaries, we already have 22 now who have signed the pledge committing to supporting the tournament's resolution bill. That's fantastic. And we know there's going to be more because in these runoffs, in multiple cases, both of the candidates that are going to be participating in the runoffs have signed the pledge. In Mississippi, remember, we talked about on this podcast a few weeks ago, we had 10 cases where we had a tournament supporter facing a tournament's opponent, and in all 10 cases, the tournament supporter won. So we are two for two so far in our elections, taking on our new strategy of educating these voters on how these legislators are going to vote on this issue. Sure. And we can't take personal credit for getting all these pledges. All the credit goes to the pledge team we have here at U.S. Term Limits. Uh, Shannon Les Chambly, Scott Tillman, Jeff Tillman, uh, Aaron Duquette. These folks were indefatigable going after these pledges from candidates, following up and not giving up until they had a pledge in hand. And basically what this means is no matter what happens, the Louisiana legislature will have an army of term limits convention supporters in it come 2020. We won't know the exact number until November 16th, but it's going to be at least 22 and maybe even higher. You know, word is traveling of what we're doing. The legislators there are panic stricken over the mailers, the digital ads we've done that reveal uh, their positions. It's so funny. Before we started plastering these guys' faces all over the state and calling them enemies of term limits, they wanted nothing to do with us. They blew us off. They wouldn't return our calls about the pledge. But then as soon as the mail and the digital hits, (laughs) they suddenly spring to life like that Warner Brothers frog and start doing the Michigan rag, by which I mean pandering on term limits. It's hilarious. Well, let's make it clear, though. We always let bygones be bygones. As soon as you sign the pledge and support the term limits bill, you're our buddy, and uh, you're doing the people's work. But up until then, (laughs) all bets are off. Amen. So the next step is the general election on November 16th, and I assume we're going to be making a big play in that election as well. Yes, because while while there were 22 pro-term limits candidates who had outright wins uh, last week, meaning they got over 50% of the vote, there were another 22 between the House and Senate who now advanced to a runoff um, because they failed to hit that 50% threshold. So what we're going to be doing is pretty serious voter education campaigns in as many of those districts as possible to alert people where these guys stand on the term limits convention pledge. We're expecting to make a sizable investment in those districts. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome here to our newest talk at FreedomWorks. My name is Sarah Anderson, our Federal Affairs Manager. And joining me today to talk a little bit about term limits and what's going on here in the swamp is Representative Matt Gates from Florida's 1st Congressional District. Before we jump into the issue of term limits, share a little bit about your background, how you ended up in politics, um, and what you're really doing here in Washington to fight the way that things are going here most of the time. Well, I'm a country lawyer from North Florida. I served in our state legislature for six years. I loved that service. It was 
dynamic and interesting mm -hmm. and at times bipartisan and we got a ton done and it was terrible preparation for service in the Congress where so often right. we fall short of uh, the expectations that the country rightfully has for us. And so I, I ran for Congress mm -hmm. in 2016 and uh, was elected in a pretty crowded primary and then uh, in a general election. And really, I'm just trying to change this place. You know, I didn't run as a guy who thought everything was working well and I wanted to go be a part of it. The pitch I made to my voters is that Washington sucks and it's broken and it's sort of broken on purpose, right? Like right. the special interests win when we don't get enough done for the country. And so uh, I think that there are a number of structural changes that we can make that will vastly improve our decision-making. And if we do that, we'll get better outcomes. Right, so you mentioned that you served some time in the Florida House of Representatives. Um, do you guys have term limits down there? And how is the legislature in your state different than what you watch here happen in Washington every day? So in Florida, our voters took the position that eight is enough. So eight years in the state house or yeah. in the state senate, and you've got to move on to other work. And that led to a vibrance that is so lacking here in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C. It's because you have a shot clock. You know that you only have a certain amount of time to get done the stuff you want to get done. So you're more willing to maybe take half a loaf, make right. some progress, chip away at a major challenge. Uh, and there's also more of a, a churn of mm -hmm. new ideas, younger members. And you also don't have time to hold these grudges. You know, right. I, one thing I notice around here, some of these old battle oxes, they've been hating each other for the last two <laughs> decades. And then when you try to get them to agree on what to rename a post office, they'll end up chewing on each other. Right. Over the course of a you know, term limit environment, it's easier to dispense with whatever you know, personal irritant you have with someone yeah. and to get to the business uh, working for, uh, for the people that we're supposed to serve. So I far prefer that term limit system in Florida to right. what we have here. So when you look at the state of Florida, obviously the bill that would implement term limits, mm -hmm. um, a constitutional amendment, is led by Representative Francis Rooney, also from Florida, mm -hmm. and the lead sponsor in the last Congress was then Representative Ron DeSantis, who is now the governor of Florida. Yes. What is it about Florida? Obviously, you're now a co-sponsor <laughs> of this bill, HJ Res 20. Mm -hmm. What is it about Florida that, that's pushing your members to lead on it? Well, we've seen the positive impact of term limits in our state. Phil, have you ever had Romano cheese? <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. I accidentally buy it sometimes when the Save-A-Lot runs out of Parmesan. And Romano cheese, if you've ever had it, it's, it's like an old, acidic, foul-smelling cheese that leaves a really bad taste in your mouth. It's nasty. And it goes bad really fast. And I can't <laughs> help but notice that West Virginia State Senator Mike Romano is a lot like the cheese which bears his name. <laughs> he's a lawyer of course who's been in power for five years and yeah. at, at just for some background at the tail end of the 2019 session he was the chump who filibustered mm -hmm. the term limits convention in the last 30 minutes of the session <sighs> he ran out the clock the gong went off at midnight and we never got our vote in West Virginia. The vote that we pushed very hard for and the vote the citizens of West Virginia deserved, all because this one guy who thinks he's a bigger deal than the whole state of West Virginia. Um, so we had an idea. I believe USTL uh, field director Scott Tillman had this idea. It was much too clever to have been mine. To stick a big fat billboard smack dab in the middle of his district, calling him out for being the worst, nastiest opponent of term limits in the state of West Virginia. And now that billboard has officially gone up in Clarksburg, West Virginia. 
I've seen a picture of it. It's got a picture of his face, and it says, Senator Romano blocked tournaments on Congress. And it says, tournaments.com forward slash Romano. We'll put the picture up. If you go to termlimits.com slash Romano, you can see it. The head is overlaid in like a blue hue sort of thing. He looks like uh, like some kind of corrupt Smurf. Mm-hmm. And I'm told this is right between his home and his office. So he has to see it every day. His neighbors, his barber, his butcher, his accountant, they're all seeing it. And they're all wondering why Senator Romano threw the people under the bus in West Virginia. And that's exactly what he did. The polling that we had done in 2018 showed that 83% of the citizens in West Virginia supported the Congressional Term Limits Resolution, and the House of Delegates passed it, 55 to 42. Our folks there in West Virginia were telling us we were going to pass if it got a vote. And it went all the way to the last day of the session, and the session ends at midnight promptly, and Senator Romano, with his filibuster, in fact, Let's play the last bits of it. You know, it started with the Magna Carta. The French still claim that they were the founders of democracy. We're the founders of democracy. We're the birthplace of democracy. We're the light on the hill for every other country on this earth. You know why? Because we have Azingers, we have Jeffries, we have Stallings, we have Romanos. We got everybody. That was so heartbreaking. In fact, you and I, Nick, were watching this live as it was streaming. And when that gavel fell, my heart fell also. And he knew exactly what he was doing, right? It's like in Cinderella, when you know the carousel is going to turn back into a pumpkin. He knew that (laughs) session would gavel out right at midnight. And if he could just keep his big mouth open for 30 minutes... He could stop right. this thing from seeing the light of day. So it was an intentional act to kill yeah. the term limits convention and prevent anyone else from from getting a word in. I'll just say this. Politicians generally pride themselves in being able to get away with this kind of thing, bad actions and votes. They make the assumption no one's ever going to find out. That might have been true before U.S. term limits came along, but it is true no longer. Uh, we, right. If you can't make them see the light, make them feel the heat. That's it. And we're going to. We're not done in West Virginia by any means. We're starting right now putting together a volunteer team that's going to go back out there, spread the word about what happened in the last session. It was going to pass. 83% of the voters that support this were going to have their say, and it was robbed from them by Senator Romano. And to be involved, anyone in West Virginia should go to turnlimits.com forward slash WV and sign up. There's going to be an awful lot of activities we're going to be involved in, including a trip up to the Capitol, to the State House, and to go door-to-door and um, talk to legislators about passing the legislation. We'll be doing that in January. And then, of course, in February, we have Tournaments Day coming up when the people of West Virginia can make a public display of support of tournaments all across the state. So we got a lot of action coming up, and um, please be a part of it. If you're on the other side of this equation, if you're the politician, you can only survive by hiding by obfuscating, and by filibustering. What they have to do is basically get down on their hands and knees and pray, 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 pray that the issue never comes up, that no group tries to expose them for opposing this issue. You were absolutely spot on. It is all about hiding. It is all about creating distractions and obfuscations because they are afraid to confront this issue head on. It is that powerful. It is that popular. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No Uncertain Terms. 
Citizens have unfinished business in West Virginia, where a filibuster from an aspiring career politician prevented a vote on the Congressional Term Limits Resolution. If you live in West Virginia, please go to termlimits.com forward slash WV and sign up to volunteer. If you know anyone in West Virginia, please send them the link. With your help, the people will have their say. Also, we have another vote coming up in Louisiana on November 16th. We want to educate the voters on who supports the term limits resolution and who opposes it. This is expensive. Please help us out. You can do so at termlimits.com forward slash donate. Thank you very much for your help. We'll be back next week. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review. The No Uncertain Terms podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Google Play. U-S-T-L By the way, in that filibuster, when he mentions his name, Senator Romano, he actually pronounces it Romano. But anyway, we'll let that go. That's okay. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve to have his name pronounced <laughs> correctly. I prefer to call him Romano. Because yeah. then my, mo- well, my you, monologue about some... cheese doesn't yeah. work. <laughs>